ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mercatus's podcast, Digital Grocer, episode 26, season three. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, president and CEO of Mercatus Technologies, and joining me here at NRF 2020 is Mark Fahers, senior director of marketing. Hello, everyone. And this is the second day of NRF. Second day. Yes. It doesn't feel like a Monday. No, no, I've <laughs> actually, I'm lost in the time vortex. It actually feels like I've fallen into this dirty vortex <laughs> yeah, yeah. of retail. Well, I just summed up 25 years of my life. <laughs> it's, it's incredible how time flies, yeah. right, when you're here in New York City? Well, well yesterday, that was the Sunday, the yeah. first day. It, it was, was over in a blink. In a blink. Yeah. It was crazy here at the Mercator's booth. Yeah. We have the, our friends over from the UK, Spoon Guru, demonstrating their stuff, which is some pretty cool AI technology, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, we had a bunch of retailers drop by. We have the, also a bunch of European retailers. You know, Monday feels a lot busier than the opening day. Well, just the traffic getting here yeah. was nice. Yeah, I went upstairs. And we're booth 1418 down first level. Yep. Door 1C, as Mark would say, I think. <laughs> I'm just helping guide the I masses. Know. You're like a girl guide. <laughs> I'm not sure. I would say means. Boy Scout. Boy Scout, Thanks. but anyway. Thanks, not, but I think the blue uniform <laughs> would look better on you. That's yeah. the Mercatus colors. Yeah. <laughs> and ARF's going to be interesting this year. It's one of these shows that I, I don't think is going to die out anytime soon. You know, no, it's no. still a staple. Yeah. In this industry, there's a lot of stuff about hardware. There's a lot of technology. Seems upstairs, it's still all about robotics. I mean, we talked about that yesterday on the podcast. Yeah. Yesterday, podcast was amazing. We had Ron Bonacci, uh, VP of Advertising and Marketing from uh, Weiss Markets, talk about some amazing stuff in terms of, you know, if you're going to jump in as a retailer into the world of e-commerce, things that you should be looking out for as a retailer. Great advice. For those of you who haven't listened to it, I would suggest that you tune into so to talk a little bit more about what's going to transpire into 2020 and what's what's happening in the industry, you know, this space here, most people would say it doesn't move as fast as what they would like it to be, but the reality is when there are moves, they are quite earth-shattering. So joining us today in the booth is Kevin Coop, who's a speaker, author, and video producer, and a content guy for MorningNewsBeat.com. If you're not paying attention to that website, I don't know, you guys are missing out. I think it's one of those kind of golden nuggets of information that really cuts through the BS that you see in a lot of the editorial content out in the industry and just gets to the facts. And uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm going to put cuts through the BS on my business card. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Also joining us is the CEO of Replanium and the former VP of consumables at Amazon, Tom Furphy. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Great. So Tom, can you refresh our listeners' memory? What does Replenium do? So Replenium is an auto replenishment platform. You know, at Amazon, we, and you hear this quote, you know, we're not in the business of selling things, we're in the business of helping people buy things. And we had huge success at Amazon in subscribe and save and in building, you know, Dash and predictive replenishment and those things. And shoppers really, I mean, most of our CPG volume goes through those capabilities. And so after years of doing it at Amazon, we have run a venture fund up in Seattle, and one of the things we funded was was building an open replenishment platform for um, for any other retailer or any brand to use. And so we're partnering with a bunch of retailers, we're partnering with Mercatus, and really excited to bring those capabilities to customers. Now, Tom, you do so many different things out there in the industry, and Replenium, I think, is one one of many things you do. Can you share with the audience what are the other stuff that you do? Yeah, and I apologize, a lot of talking the last couple of days, so my voice is a little scratchy, but we'll go with it. Yeah, so, you know, the perspective on the industry that we had and grew while we were at Amazon was pretty interesting. You know, we were this disruptor, for lack of a better term, but, you know, we could see that we were really going to become something. And as Amazon, you know, becomes a bigger part of shoppers' lives and 
is more kind of impactful on retail overall, we said, you know, we're really creating an investable opportunity. So we left Amazon with a thesis that says, someday Amazon's gonna be 20, 25% of all retail. And when it is, that creates investable opportunities, both in helping the world work with and through Amazon, and also helping the rest of the world either hedge against or compete against reliance on Amazon. So we started a venture fund that invests along that thesis. We invest on our pro Amazon side. We have a big agency called IdealClick. And we manage about $3 billion in Amazon sales, a couple hundred manufacturer clients. Wow. We spend way into the nine figures in marketing on Amazon yeah. every year. And so that's kind of that side of the thesis. And then the other side of the thesis is building enabling technologies to help the world compete against Amazon in an Amazon world. Right, right. So Replenium fits into that. We had a company called Bevy Up that was basically an early clienteling type of solution that Nordstrom ended up buying and a number of other capabilities around that. Great, that's amazing. And Kevin, let's talk about... I haven't done anything nearly as oh, impressive. I'm, I'm an ink, I would be an ink-stained wretch in an earlier time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Some people will tell you I'm still a wretch. <laughs> That's, so talk to me, how do you see 2019 wrap up in terms of what happened in retail, like the big moments for you? Well, how, how, how 2019, I got to be honest with you, we're recording this on what? It's the 13th of January. Yeah. And 2019 seems like five years Doesn't ago. Doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it, and you know this is the case because, I don't know about you guys, but you know, for like usually about a month after the new year, I'm still writing the previous year. Yeah. And I switched right into 2020 without totally. any problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like 2019 was, I don't even remember what happened in 2019. I mean, part of the problem what I do is I've been writing this, <laughs> I've been writing this blog for 18 years, right? So I've been writing basically five days a week, 46, 47, 48 weeks a year for 18 years. I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, <laughs> much less what happened in 2019. But I think, and this won't be of any surprise to anybody who knows who knows Tom and knows that he actually writes. We do a, a thing on Morning Newsbeat all the time and have done a bunch of speeches together and stuff. Is that I'm totally in sync with where Tom sees the world going. I mean, the notion of of helping companies compete with Amazon and as well as against Amazon. I mean, that's a that is a sweet spot as you can get. I mean, for me, the and this certainly ties into what you guys are doing, which may be why I'm on your podcast. <laughs> you know, the notion of being able to be more personal in how you you interact with your customer is huge to me, and I do think that to some degree that's where we see things going. Right. That people are beginning to understand, not everybody, but people and companies are beginning to understand that. The consumer is not something that can be commoditized. Right. And that you need to personalize that relationship as best you can, which means being very careful, it seems to me, about figuring out who your partners are, not outsourcing valuable relationships. We could probably do a couple hours on I'm that, sure. on that yeah. subject. Yeah. I think we have. Um, and, <laughs> and so I, I think you're starting to see some of yep. that at the same time as you're seeing you know, I think certain market realities take place. You know, one of the stories that took place I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember if it happened in beginning 2020 or the end of 2019, but the, the sale of New Seasons to the, the Korean company, that South Korean company that this also is, owns... This is the Oregon-based uh, uh, yes. natural yeah, grocery. Yeah, natural yeah. grocers, yeah. 13, 14 stores, yeah. sold to the same company that owns Bristol Farms Met Market, mm -hmm. right? To me, that tells us something about where the world is going to go. I think you're going to start to see, you're starting to see it already, and you're going to see more mergers and acquisitions of that sort, yep. where smaller companies that simply are not capable, are not equipped, 
maybe creatively, maybe financially, maybe infrastructurally, if that's a word, to compete in the world that Tom is describing are finding, okay, if we're going to stay in business, we have to find the right partners, we have to find the right, the right alliances, and maybe change our ownership package yeah. to be able to make yeah. that work. Yeah, well that's interesting. That's synonymous with a Canadian retailer called Farm Boy, headquartered out of Ottawa. Phenomenal brand, started by a bunch of brothers out of Cornwall, Ontario. Super obsessive about fresh produce. I think in, in the Ottawa region, they operated 20-something locations. Mm -hmm. And then they brought in a CEO, I think he was former president of Giant Tiger. He brought in U.S. Capital. And with that U.S. Capital, they actually started to expand out. And then, you know, to really go big, they sold themselves to Sobeys. And, you know, Sobeys, credit to them because they, I would say, and they didn't do so well in the acquisition of Safeway out of Western Canada in terms of what they did with it. But the beauty is, I think the new CEO learned a valuable lesson and has not interfered with Farm Boy. But he's giving the resources that they need. To grow and invest and offer a differentiated experience. Yeah, and I think, Kevin, you raise a good point. I think some retailers have not bounced back out of the recession of 08, even in this late in the game. Well, they're in big trouble if they haven't no. because we're going to have another one probably. I mean, some CEOs think we'll have one this year. Yeah, yeah they're pretty I mean, negative. Uh, 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 yeah. But, I mean, whether it happens this year or next year or the year after that, I mean, recession is not if, it's right. when. If you haven't bounced back from the last recession, yeah. if there's another one, you're in big trouble. And this just to me is one of the reasons that the retailers that are under, that understand that they need to forge as many connections to their customers mm -hmm, that cannot be, that won't be interrupted, can't be disrupted, mm -hmm. or are less likely to be disrupted because it always can happen. They're the ones that are going to be successful because they're going to create relationships that are going to sustain, be sustained even when there are stresses. I right. mean, again, not to, I mean, I'm the guy here who doesn't have a product other than my word, so I can pump you got both guys up, right? But that's the magic of replenium, right? And I say this as being somebody who is a, a big subscribe and save customer. The items I buy a subscribe and save every month that we get shipped to us, I'm never going to buy those in a supermarket again. So yeah. if a supermarket or a drugstore or whoever is able to create those connections in a way using Replenium, then you've suddenly you've got something that's not just transactional. And exactly. Maybe, right. And maybe that's the key. Maybe, mm. it, it, maybe the key is retailers, the smart ones, the ones that are going to survive, are going to be the ones who are not thinking transactionally. They're thinking about relationships, maybe solving problems. Thinking about yeah. margin, mm -hmm. trying to figure out where are the margin-friendly areas they can be, yeah. as opposed to getting to areas where I can make a splash, but I'm not going to make any money. Right. right. Well, smart retailers yeah. will understand that they'll understand there's a balance between customer centricity, right? Which is which is understanding what's transactional and commoditized, and having the right technology to be able to take that out of the way. Take it out of the way. Just have it be done. And then customer centricity means enhancing discoverability. Absolutely. And that's where your AI models come in, right? And we talk about shrinking the store to the size of one aisle and making that much easier. And I think the reality is not every retailer, I don't care where you are on this planet, but I don't think they fully understand customer centricity no. just yet, right? Because they think digital is just an adjunct to what they do on a day-to-day -day basis that it doesn't have a leg to stand yep. on on its own. And that's a big challenge. Don't you the, find that? Yeah, the I case? think they've really been kind of store centric and they've been, you know, operation centric. Right. Because really the challenge has been, you know, how do I build my supply chain? How do I configure my store? How do I run my store such that I'm able to, you know, 
yield that 3% net margin and be okay. And, and that's hard and that takes a lot of focus, but you run the risk of taking that focus away from the customer. And customer centricity is so liberating. I'm fortunate to have worked for both Wegmans and for Amazon. And yeah. arguably two of the most customer-centric retailers. Intense. Wegmans is intense, uh, right? and they get it. They yeah, get they get it. it. Yeah. And when you really do focus on the customer, I mean, when yeah. you when you have that tunnel vision to how do I help her or help him in, in, in their daily lives, you can rationalize the experience then from there, and, it, and it's so logical. Yeah. You know, and, and Amazon was very much the same way, very different environment, mm -hmm. the customer centricity, very simple. And we start to think about, do you really want, in the case of Replenium, as an example, you know, do you really want to force the customer to walk up and down a bunch of aisles, or if you're shopping online, you know, to go through their past purchases or search and browse everywhere and spend all that time for these things that they know they're going to get. Right. You know when you're going to run out of toothpaste. You right. know when you're going to run out of toilet paper. You use the same deodorant all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can add some discoverability and variability and, and switch that stuff up, but yeah. don't ask the customer to spend that time. Take that 15, 20 minutes that they save and show them some new products, yeah, you know, exactly. and discover it. Yeah. That's, it's such a richer experience. Glad you said that. And you said a couple of things that really jog something for me. We sometimes talk about this at the office. It's very difficult, even as a tech partner to retailers, to innovate technology with the customer continuously in mind. Because you get pulled into IT conversations. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> right. And those yeah. IT conversations can get pretty brutal because yeah. you just don't talk about the customer. It's, then it's like, well, let's see if we can fix this for the customer at the end. You right. get dragged into operational conversations. And suddenly, and even in the retailer's mind, how is this going to enhance the customer's experience with us? And we ask the question, how is it going to help us as a retailer make money? Yeah. And those questions are rarely, rarely asked. In fact, I find they're more asked out of European retailers. We've had some interactions with a couple of European retailers, and IT takes a bit of a backseat to the marketing team in Europe that's in some case. Thing. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah. When you were at Amazon, you guys did, you guys were fantastic in the back end, amazing in the front end. Was the conversation continuously customer-centric, or was it you're trying to strike a balance with that? Well, I think it starts with being customer-centric, mm -hmm. but then you also, in serving the customer, you're always looking for ways that you can drive efficiencies, take cost out of the system, right? So mm -hmm. you do a lot of looking kind of all the way back up, you know, through, be it technology, be it supply chain. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of looking back through there because if you're able to reduce costs, then you're able to reduce prices. Right. You're able to be more efficient, more effective. Right. You can lean into things like, you know, same day, next day delivery and all that because you can find those pockets of margin. So, you know, I think in any retailer today too, focus on the customer and the magic is like a lot of the technology solutions today, mm. they're less expensive than the old enterprise world, right? right? Yep. You have the advantage of a retailer of all this R&D money that we as entrepreneurs and our investors put into this stuff, right. so you don't have to do it. The technology delivers a better customer experience right. and it delivers a ton of monetization throughout it as well. Right. And it's not monetization such that it detracts from the customer experience. Right. It can actually improve the customer experience, right? So yeah. building and replenishment, you know, Brands will pay for that, right? You know, gladly, and the customer gets value from that. You know, you guys with what you're doing in personalization, and you know, the the ability to kind of put thoughtful advertising messages throughout the experience, yeah. done right, that actually makes the shopping experience better. Yeah, right. it's yeah. better. Yeah, and it's monetized, and it drops to your bottom line. Yeah, so it really can work. A metaphor from an earlier life. So I used to run a, a video program called Supermarket Insights, 
it was a regular video program about the industry. We did them for a time, monthly. They used to go out on VHS cassettes. That tells you how long ago it was. So I used to find myself in supermarkets at like 7 a.m. with a crew, getting ready because we were going to shoot from like 8 to 4, and this was a whole film crew. And inevitably, when most supermarkets, when you'd get there at 7 o'clock in the morning, if you went into the deli, they would have chickens on the rotisserie starting to cook. Now, you know by the time that anybody would came into the store to buy chicken, they were going to be inedible. And, but you, people would put them on because, well, the guy comes in the first thing in the morning. That's, that's, what what, that's the process, is, right? That's what we do. And that, to me, is a terrific metaphor, a sad but terrific metaphor, for how so much of the industry works, right? Oh, we do it because we've always done it this way. We put them on. We're efficient. We do that. We move on to the next thing, not thinking about the edibility of the product. Yeah, right. You know, that's why so many chains don't have fresh food that's particularly good in food service. It's why they have so many out-of-stocks. It's why they have not created relationships with their customers using a, a smart e-commerce program and a smart replenishment program. They just don't get it. The question I find myself asking people more and more is, is it they don't get it or they don't know how to do it? And that's, I'm not even sure what right. the answer that's, is anymore. Yeah, that's the question I well, have. Is what is the impetus for making that change? Is it new blood from outside? Is it competitive market threat? I mean, what's the roadblock at the executive level? Well, it's about being. Se- I think it's about being self-aware and admitting you just don't know. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you got to have tons of humility. You know, we are seeing CEOs that get that, that are prepared to bring the right people into their business to be able to do that. But more often than not, you know, and I hate to say this. I mean, we talk about this in, in our executive circles. You hire a C player, they hire a D player, yep. you know, and then, you know, suddenly you're mediocre at everything and you yep. just don't know how to dig yourself out of the hole, right? The danger about quicksand, the more you struggle, the more you sink. That's yep. the harsh yep. reality. Yep. I want to get you guys an opinion on something here. Top of the week, we were in studio here in New York at Mouth Media. We were interviewing Rick Watson. We were talking about the key things that happened at the end of 2019. Right, so FedEx decides to bolt out of the Amazon last mile delivery service. And then because of some issues that happened with some quality at FedEx, Amazon decided to warn its sellers to say, hey, bar them actually from using FedEx for delivery. And so we went back and forth and said, you know, A, was Amazon ready for this? Two, did FedEx really underestimate Amazon and their knowledge and what they can do? And then I threw a question out to Rick and I said, is there a chance what Amazon is doing today with building out its own fleet, could they eventually create their own delivery service that can be used for everything? That's my first question. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, you watch what Amazon's done over the years. They're willing to partner, but I also say, look back at the history of great Amazon partnerships, and there's <laughs> none, right? I mean, ultimately, they'll partner, they'll learn from the partner, they'll push the partner along the way, but ultimately, it's about better cost control, better control of the experience, and they end up adopting these things. And I think when you look at what you know they did with the technology stack and that became AWS, you look what they did with logistics and their own fulfillment, and that's become uh, FBA, you know, right. fulfillment by Amazon. And so I think that you're absolutely going to see them become their own independent freight carrier, carrying things that are beyond stuff you buy from Amazon. Right. The question isn't will they or can they, is how yeah. fast will they be up and running? So I, well, let me ask mm-hmm. all of you guys the question. I agree with everything you just said, Tom. My only caveat is, and maybe they don't worry about it. Maybe it's, maybe it's baked in. Do they worry about which step is going to be the step too far that's going to get them in antitrust trouble? All right. 
if suddenly they are perceived, part of the whole discussion is that Scott Galloway came out and he's right. predicting that FedEx could be bought by Walmart. Right. He yeah. thinks that, that would make a lot of sense. But if FedEx suddenly is no longer an independent entity, is that the move that creates even more of a groundswell in Washington to say these guys have got to be broken up? No. You don't think so? No, I mean, you have other companies like T-Force that do delivery. They're spread over across the United States and North America. They're actually owned by a holding company out of Canada. I mean, you have UPS. I think if it was UPS that would be in trouble, I think the government would react. I think the reality is if you look at FedEx strength, it's in their whole airplanes delivery. It's not the ground stuff. That's probably trivial on the balance sheet. It's expensive sheet. too. And yeah. it's expensive, yeah. Yeah. right? And it, their market cap is just a little north of, of $40 billion. I'm not sure if Walmart would know how to run a business like that. I think if I was the Oracle of Omaha, I think they're sitting on north of $80 billion in cash right now. They could just buy it and they'd still have money to play with. And they would know what to do with it. But I think for FedEx to change and to allow an acquisition, you got to either ditch that CEO. He's got to go. Mm. He's got to go. He's not of that mindset, right? Who else could buy them? He had mentioned Shopify. And again, that'd be more of a merger. That could be interesting. Yeah. You know, an open source competitive platform to Amazon. Yeah. But it's it's strange when you, when you look at Shopify's uh, financial statements, the money is made through the credit card transactions. That makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant business model. But I haven't looked at their last numbers that have come out in terms of their shrink in terms of number of users of the platform. I'm surprised Shopify has jumped into our space. And I know some grocers have, yeah, and I know some grocers have approached them, but they're kind of staying away from yeah. the large enterprise play, the configuration, the customization and stuff yeah, like that. Shopify Plus is aiming more for the apparel and yeah. HB well, yeah, for them, yeah, it's pretty close. Better yeah. margin, yeah. right? Yeah. And a higher transaction, right. Right. cost. I think your argument against it being an antitrust issue is a logical one. Yeah. I would only say Washington is not always logical. Right. These yeah. are emotional things. But the weird thing is the whole idea of breaking up the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Googles of the world. That is a conversation that is taking place in both ends of the political spectrum, and yeah. you could find a not necessarily logical groundswell of support. Because after all, most of the people in Washington, their their password is password. So, right. <laughs> or one, two, three, four, five, right. six. Right. And, you know, and they go right. on the Facebook. You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I think I got a Google machine. <laughs> I think if if Washington right now was in dealing with the slowdown in trade, right, which is one of the economical drivers, impeachment, the the China issue, Iran, and this. And something made a, a big stink about this and it would affect consumers. Maybe Washington would take it up. But I think the narrative's just not there for them to kind of jump into it at this point. But we'll see. I mean, who's going to buy them out? I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be an easy acquisition. Cash is easy to yeah. wire. Yeah. But then you got to run the business. And you, know, you got to rescue it. And FedEx is a bit of a, bit of a pickle right now, yeah. in my sense of it, right? I saw a stat. I don't remember where I saw it. But in it was either December or all of Q4. Raw package volume delivered mm -hmm. in the U.S. Amazon was more than FedEx. <laughs> Total a, volume delivered. That's, a, that's insane. But you know, I, if you think about it, like I think about it in my own neighborhood. Yeah. If I watch the trucks that come up and down my street yeah. during the day, it's Amazon probably total is the same as the other carriers combined. Wow. On our street, I mean, we have an Amazon, you know, DSP provider. Yeah. Probably is on our street 
four or five times a day. Yeah, would it be the same for us? And I, I live north of Toronto, and be the exact same. And then it's quickly followed by UPS. Yeah. In that case, and my understanding is the way Amazon works for delivery, they bid it out if it's not their own fleet, right? So they yeah. bid it out. So I mean, I'm not surprised. So, gentlemen, I want to say thank you so much for joining our show. I really appreciate it. Tom, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? That's a good question. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> they can get a hold of us at Replenium, info at Replenium.com. And I am Tom at ConsumerEquityPartners.com. Perfect. Thank you. Yep. And Kevin, yourself? And I hope everybody will go on MorningNewsBeat.com. And I'm easily reachable at KC at MorningNewsBeat.com. Awesome. Thank you. And, Mark, I always ask you this question at the end of every show. How do people get a hold of Mercatus? be amazing if I flubbed it, right? I would be amazing. <laughs> We'd have to edit it out. <laughs> Triple W, Mercatus.com. Perfect. Thank you, folks. Thank you so much. And don't forget to uh, watch out for our next episode that will be uh, recorded later today here at NRF with Mr. Ed Wong, who is the CIO of Smart and Final. Thank you. Mm-hmm.